Tonight I want to continue our study in the matter of Calvinism. If you did not get the notes for that, there's an insert in your bulletin. And I think the ushers probably have some extras. If you do not have one of those, if you will raise your hand and uh, we'll get the guys to bring that to you. If you need one, just hold it up there for a minute and they'll get that to you. I have used these verses the last couple of weeks from Romans chapter 16 because it's important for us to remember what the Lord says there. Romans 16 verse 17 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. God says, mark those who teach false doctrine, and he says we're to avoid them. He goes on and says, For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So I'm trying to help you to understand some things about Calvinism so that you'll not be deceived. You'll know what the Bible teaches. There are three questions that every Calvinist must answer. When you engage in a conversation with someone who claims to be a Calvinist, these three questions are what you can focus on talking with them about and get them to answer them in order to get to the root of the matter. If they will answer these three questions biblically, the whole foundation upon which Calvinism is built, or Reformed theology, as many of, it, of, of us call it, the whole foundation on which they rest will be destroyed in the process. So let me ask tonight these three questions and answer them according to the Word of God, and I think you'll understand what I mean by that. Question number one. How many people God want to be saved? That's a good question to ask the Calvinist. How many people does God want to be saved? If we're going to be biblical in our answer, we must say God wants to save all men. Amen? God wants to save all men. There are many verses in Scripture that we can turn to that point. Of course, one of the greatest examples we know is John 3.16 which tells us that the whole purpose of God the Father giving His only Son as the sacrifice for our sin was so that the world would not perish but have lasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The English word word in that verse, world, comes from the Greek word cosmos. It refers to all of mankind or all the inhabitants the world. God so loved the world. God so loved the cosmos. God so loved all the inhabitants of the earth. John 3.17, the next verse goes on and says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be what? Saved. God wants the world to be saved. And it's the same Greek word used there, meaning all of mankind. God wants all of mankind to be saved. So then the Bible is very clear that God desires the world, every person in the mass of humanity, to be saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants every person to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's pretty clear, isn't it? 
God would have all men. So how many people does God want to be saved? All. all. He wants all men to be saved. Verse number 4 of 2 Timothy 2 especially says, who will have all very clear to come into the knowledge of the truth. As I state, stated last week, all means all, and that's all it means. Amen? God wants all men to be saved, and that means all men. God the Father desires for each and every person that would ever walk the face of the earth to be saved into the knowledge of truth. That's why 1 Timothy 2 and verse 6 goes on to say that Jesus gave himself a ransom for all. Pretty clear, isn't it? He gave himself a ransom for all. Again, let me encourage you to let the Bible speak for itself. We must not have our own slant or our own opinion or our own twist or our own bias on what we are stating. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, again you see the truth that God wants all men to be saved. There the Bible brings into reality that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's pretty easy for us to understand what those verses mean or what those words mean. How many people does God want to perish? None. He doesn't want any to perish. He doesn't want anybody to die and go to hell. So then, if he doesn't want any to perish, how many does he want to be saved? All. He wants all to be saved. The whole passage of 2 Peter chapter 3 indicates God's desire that he does not want any man to perish. And it's very clear to us. That's one of the reasons why I believe delayed his coming. He hasn't come back yet because he wants all men to be saved. That's why he is so long-suffering, the passage said, usward. If God chose to impose his will on man, as the Calvinist teaches, then every person would be saved because God wants all to be saved. The Bible's very clear about the reason that God gave his Son to us. And that reason is that all men might be saved. Christ was given for a very distinct purpose, and that is the salvation of the world. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10 says, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. 1 John 4, 14 says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Both of those verses say that the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world for the distinct purpose of being the Savior of the world. 1 Timothy says, Savior of all men. 1 John says, Savior of the world. So since salvation of the world was God's distinct purpose for giving His Son, we are to believe that God does not want anyone to be lost. He does not want anyone to miss out on the salvation that He has provided for us. Romans 5.8, many of you know that verse. We use it in our, in our witnessing. But God commended His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the elect. No, that's not what it says, is it? He died for us. That teaches us that he proved his love to us by dying for us. Now, let me ask you this. He proved his love by dying for us while we were yet sinners. Would that love exclude some of mankind? No. That would not be a good truth or the love of God, would it? He died so that all can be saved. Look with me, if you will, at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
verse number 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And look at verse number 18. It says, For all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world, there it is again, reconciling, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, but hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him, God the Father, hath made him, God the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. These verses tell us that God gave his Son so that he could reconcile to himself. What does reconcile mean? We've been separated. Reconciled means to take the hand of one and take the hand of the other and bring them back together again, bring them back into fellowship. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus. He reaches down to man, reaches up to the Father. He reconciles us back together again. And now he sends us as his ambassadors to take that message of reconciliation to the whole world to tell the world that they can be saved. Why? Because God wants all to be saved. Without question, God's heart, God's desire, God's vision, and God's will that every person on the earth come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And the Bible is full of testimony. It is God's will for all men to be saved. Now, the Calvinist, and this is on your notes there, the Calvinist, if he's honest with you, will answer this question about whom God wants to be saved by stating that God only desires the elect, the predestinated, or the chosen to be saved. In other words, the Calvinist limits the scope of who God wants to be saved to only a chosen few, to only what they call the elect. Limits, that's part of the tulip, remember the L, limited atonement. The Calvinist believes that, that only a certain few pre-chosen, predetermined people will be saved. That's a huge issue because it strikes against the very heart of God. It denies what we've already seen in the verses of Scripture that we've read, the very purpose in which God sent His Son in the first place. 19 and verse 10 tells us, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save only those that He pre-chose. No. To seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. So God's will is for all men to be saved. Although God desires all men to be saved, that does not mean that all will be saved. Amen? Not everybody's going to be saved. The reason is because we must choose for ourselves to trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. God is not forcing His will on any of us. He doesn't make us get saved. He doesn't make us trust Him. He's given us our own will in the matter. Each person has to come to Christ on their own. John 1 in verse 11 says, He came unto His own. But then it goes on and says, And His own received Him not. In other words, there were some people in Jesus' day that would not receive Him. And so the Lord didn't force them to. There are a lot of people today that will not come to the Lord. You can share the gospel with them. They won't accept it. They don't, some don't even want to hear it. However, some their personal rejection doesn't change the fact that God still wants them to be saved. Amen? 
He still wants them to come to Christ. The issue is that God has given to man his own freedom to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or not to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's into the, the, the part of irresistible grace that, the, that the, the Calvinists believe. So the first question, how many people does God want to be saved? All. He wants, he wants everybody. And that's very important for us to ask any Calvinist about his view of what the Bible says. Second question that you ask a Calvinist is, does every person have the opportunity to be saved? How many people does God want to be saved? All. Does everyone have the opportunity to be saved? The Calvinist would say no to that question because they believe that Jesus only died for those whom they refer to as the elect. In other words, only the people who get saved... The elect are the only ones that Jesus died for. That's, that's their uh, belief. So they don't believe everyone has the opportunity to be saved. If you're not one of the predestined or one of the elect, according to them, you don't have the opportunity to be saved. I'm glad everybody has the opportunity to be saved. And, and, and most of the kids I talk to, if you ask them, are the elect, they'll say yes. <laughs> well, it's a good thing that they are, if that's what they believe, or they wouldn't have the opportunity to be saved. In their view, Jesus did not pay for the sins of the whole world. He only paid for the sins of part of the world. Therefore, they believe that only the predestined or the pre-chosen or pre-elect can be saved. They believe that the rest of mankind has no redeemer, has no one who satisfactorily paid the penalty for their sins. I'm glad Jesus paid the penalty for everybody. Everybody has, a, has the opportunity to be saved. So there's really two issues that addressed in answer to the second question. First, does the Bible truly teach a limited atonement? Does the Bible truly teach a limited atonement? In other words, that Jesus only died on the cross for the elect. That he only died for a certain group of people. The Bible clearly presents an atonement that is totally unlimited in its scope. For example, 1 John 2, 2 teaches Jesus is not only the propitiation for the sins of those who believe on him, but also it says for the, he's the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. The, world. the word propitiation, you say, what in the world does that mean? Well, it has the idea of a full, complete payment, a total satisfaction of a debt. Jesus paid the debt for all of mankind. He satisfied that debt, our sin debt. Is there anyone on the face of the earth for whom Jesus Christ did not die and paid it in full? According to 1 John, the answer is no. He became the propitiation for the sins of the whole world, it says. Hebrews 2 and verse 9 says that he, Jesus, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Do you notice those two words, every man? At the cross at Calvary, Jesus died for every person. That word man is mankind. It's talking about women and men alike. He died. He paid the sin debt for every person that would ever walk on the face earth. On one twenty nine, John the Baptist and Jesus, and he said to the people, he said, Am of God which take away the sin of the world. Not just the sins of the elect. The world. He tasted death for every man, all of mankind. I'm not asking you to believe what I believe or believe what I say about this issue. I'm asking you tonight to believe what God says. 
I'm sharing with you the verses from God's Word. And when we look at those verses, we can see it very clearly for ourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 says, For the love of Christ straineth us, because we thus judge, if one died for all, then we're all dead. That he died for all, that they which should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Now think about those clear words. If one died for all. And then he says, and that he died for all. Can you get any clearer than that? He died for all. The Bible emphatically says that one died for all. He died for all. For whom did Jesus die? All. Everyone. Now the Calvinists... They, they claim that he died for all who are the elect. They add their part into that. God has strong warnings about adding to or taking away from the word of God. Amen. The Bible's our authority and it, Jesus came. He came to all of the world. He fully satisfied the just sentence of God for mankind. And he paid that debt so that we have eternal life. There's a second issue that deals with each opportunity to be saved. Does every man have the opportunity to be saved? Does every man have the opportunity? We said, first of all, does the Bible truly teach limited atonement? The answer is no. The second is, does every man have the opportunity to be saved? Does everybody have the opportunity? The answer is, yes, he does. You see, the Bible uses a word, whosoever. Over and over again. And what wonderful news that is for all of us. That whosoever, no one's excluded. Everybody has the opportunity. God extended the offer of eternal salvation to who believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's exactly what John 3, 15 and 16 say. It says, God has provided eternal life, everlasting life to whosoever believeth. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stood and preached under the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, 2, and he said that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. Salvation was going to be for all, not just for the nation of Israel. Peter wanted to know, them to know it wasn't just the Jews, it was going to be the Gentiles as well. And so he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. From the Old Testament that he had quoted from, that whosoever could be saved. Speaks to the Gentiles at the house of Cornelius. And he said in Acts 10 and verse 43, he said to him, Jesus, give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believes in him shall have remission of sins. Peter said all the Old Testament gave witness that whosoever can be saved. In Isaiah 45, 2, God unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. If all the prophets of the Old Testament gave testimony to this provided for all of mankind, then why in the world should we question it? Amen? Amen. The word whosoever is not referring to whosoever is the elect. It's stating that salvation is available for anyone and for all who will call upon the name of the Son of God and believe and put their faith in Him for the salvation of their souls. Revelation 22, verse 17, wonderfully says, And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. 
Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. The next time you ask him, does every person have the opportunity to be saved? When they tell you no, then ask them, why does God say that Jesus was the propitiation for the sins of the whole world? And why does he refer to salvation as whosoever will in places in the Bible? See, to believe what the Calvinists teach, you have to reject what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches. There's a third question. Does man have a free will to accept or reject God's offer of salvation? Does man have a free will? Calvinists make men who are created in God's image to be a robot of sorts. They insist that man does not have a free will or choice in the matter of salvation. Calvinistic fundamentalism on this erroneous belief that God, in his complete control and authoritative power over everything, sovereignty, makes the choice of salvation for us. They believe that God chooses who will be the one that is a part of the elect, the heaven-bound, and who will be part of the non-elect, the hell-bound. Man may have a will, but the Calvinist believes that God overrides that will in the matter of salvation. And yet we've seen it very clearly when God said, whosoever will. That God, whosoever will, has given to every man a free will. God does not override will when it comes to the gospel. Amen. Have that same free will. Our own will determines whether we will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or whether we will reject him. If you think about it, the whosoever verses in the Bible, whosoever will make no sense if man doesn't have his own If all men do have the opportunity to be saved, or if man has no will of himself to believe or not to believe the message of the gospel, then it doesn't make any sense. But the word of God settles it, doesn't it? The Bible is very clear. God said, if we will, if you will, if I will, if anyone will, whosoever will, anyone can come to the Lord Jesus Christ and his revelation says, take of the water of life freely. God leaves it up to each individual to make her own choice to believe on his son. Now, when we hear the gospel, free will, and we can make our own choice, but God's offer of salvation also makes us accountable to God. While God desires all men to be saved, and while he paid the price for our sin debt so that we could be out of God, and while he calls us and says, whosoever will may be saved, he leaves the ultimate decision unto each one of us as individuals of whether we'll accept by faith the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior or we will choose to reject him and his message of salvation in unbelief. Listen to what John 3.18 says. You know this verse. He that believeth on him, on Jesus, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only and Son of God. The choice is further explained in John chapter 3 and verse 3. It says, He that believeth the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son of God shall not see, but the wrath of God abideth on him already. I share those verses as simply as man. Faith is man's responsibility toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is our response and our responsibility to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
If I say no and I die and go to heaven, it's my responsibility. I make that choice. If I say yes and I get to go to heaven, I'm responsible. I make that choice. We will believe on Christ and what he has done or we will reject him. God gave to us the Bible powerful witness of himself to tell us about him. Why did he give us his word? One of the greatest reasons was to convince us to believe on him. To convince us that he was true and he is God. God chose with our own free will and, and therefore since we have a free will, we need to be convinced. And God gives his word to convince us. Bring us to faith. That's why Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He gave us his word to convince us so that we'd put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is looking for those that will be convinced and believe in his son. He's looking for those who will take him at his word, who will believe him. That's why Peter said we have a more sure word of testimony. They saw and sometimes we think, boy, if we could just see Jesus. Remember, remember the, the um, rich man in hell wanted Abraham and Lazarus to his father's house. He, said, he was saying, if they could just see Lazarus, if one rose from the dead, they would believe him. Peter said, something better than that. We got the word of God. A more sure word of testimony. Why do we have that word of testimony? To convince us to believe in him. To take him at his word. Why do you think Hebrews 11.6 stresses to us that without faith it is impossible to please God. And God will rightfully hold us accountable for the witness of his word. Jesus said in John, 14, verse 48, or John 12 verse 48. He said, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken shall judge him in the the very word that God gave to us to convince us will be the very thing that God uses to judge us if we reject, if we reject him. Refuse to believe the gospel, rejecting and refusing the truth of God's word that is given to us. The book of 2 Thessalonians gives us a clear warning. He says in chapter 2 and verse 10, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received the love of the truth that they might be saved. Receive not the love of the truth. We have a clear warning. We're going to be accountable for what we do with the Word of God. Amen. Try asking the Calvinists those three questions. How many people does God really want to be saved? And our answer is all. Does every man have the opportunity to be saved? Yes. Whosoever. Does man have a free will to accept and reject God's offer of salvation? And again, the answer is yes. We have a free will. He's got that choice. You see, part of the tulip, the, the, the eye is irresistible grace. The says that the person who is chosen or elect can't resist. He can't say no. And who is not a part of the elect can't say yes. I'm so glad whosoever will can come. Aren't you glad you're a part of the whosoever will? You can put your faith and trust in him and become a child of God. The Bible always has to be our final authority. 
That's why I come back to those verses in Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. Paul said, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Thank God He wants everybody to be saved. Thank God every person has the opportunity to be saved. And thank God that every one of us have a will. We can choose yes, we can choose no. But God gives that free choice. There are those who teach the opposite of each of those three questions. And the Lord says to us, mark them and avoid them. They teach things that are contrary to the doctrine which we have. Sometimes we have to avoid certain people because they want to be argumentative and they don't want to accept what God's Word says. Most of the time, if you talk to somebody who's a Calvinist, they're not going to listen to the Word of God anyway. They've already predetermined up their mind what they believe. And we ought to be predetermined on what we believe, but it has to be based on what God's Word says. Amen. We have to be able to say, here's what the Bible says, saith the Lord, and be able to take them to the Word of God. So I hope these will help you, these questions, and as we think about and talk about Calvinism, will help you to be able to answer them, and it will also let you know there's some mark and we avoid. Um, I think it's, I didn't write down the verse, but I think it's 2 John, where the Lord says, if somebody comes to your home, with any other gospel, he says, don't open the door, don't even invite them into your house. When the Jehovah's Witnesses come, give them a track. Share the gospel, don't invite them in your home. When the Mormons come, don't invite them in your home. He said, don't bid them Godspeed. Don't say, well, God bless you and send them on the way. And I used to live down in, in Walton, uh, there on Arbor Run. Once in a while, we'd have a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon come. I would, I would try to always have tracks to give to them. I never invited them in my home. I would share scripture with them at the door. Sometimes I would take as much time as I could with them. Now, I'm not recommending you do this. But I took more time with them because I, I figured the more time I spent with them, the less time they had to go <laughs> spread their false doctrine to somebody else. Many times going door to door, knocking on the door, witness magazine or something. I don't leave it. I take it. I take it with me. Mormon track, I'll take it. I don't want them to get the false. I'll take theirs and leave the truth there. I know, I know one fellow. I have, I've never done this, but one guy, he used to get these, these uh, there were racks in different doctor's offices and places, and, and they, would have, uh, they would have a little um, coupon on there and say, Turn, you know, send this in and we'll send you. And he would, put them, he would send them all when he get in, he said, I figured if they sent them to me, it, took, it used their money on something else that they couldn't use it on somebody. And so did that. I don't recommend you necessarily do that, but I'm just simply saying, when people do not agree with the Word of God, and, and forget this, there are some things we can agree to disagree on, okay? And there are good people who are Calvinists. Don't ever be unkind. But there are those who are argumentative. And God says they will deceive the simple. If you don't know the truth of the verses of Scripture, if you aren't careful, they'll twist and turn and 
deceive you. That's why I want to share these verses and help you know the truth. And so that you'll recognize it when you hear it. Make the right decisions. Pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is so very clear. There's no doubt when we read these verses, many of them, that tell us that you want all to be saved. That you have provided the opportunity. You paid the debt, sin debt, tasted death for all men, for every man. That you've given us a free will that whosoever will may come. Thank you for not making us like robots where we didn't have a choice. We choose you as our Savior. We choose to love you. We choose to serve you. Also choose to study so we know the truth, so that we'll not be up in the false teachings that are presented in our world today. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.